0: I wanted to talk to Matthew Long Middleton because he is living a mystery. I heard that for the last couple of months, you'd been keeping this journal. Oh, yeah. And I wonder, can you get it out for me?
1: Hold on one second. I'll go grab it. (laughs) What a great start. (laughs) One second.
0: This journal starts in March. It's mostly a kind of symptom list.
1: Uh, Wednesday, March 11th, 2020, fever. And then I wrote down right ear at 10.59 p.m., 101.2. Left ear, 100.3. Uh, right ear at 12.37, uh, 99.9. And I wrote, uh, tracking right now helps. This comes in waves, maybe of panic. It's like nothing I've experienced but maybe it's because I'm so scared.
0: Matthew's diary reminds me of little notes I used to jot down when I was caring for newborns. Bits of data about sleeping and eating. In the end, you think maybe you'll step back and all the pixels of information will arrange themselves in a way that makes sense. And a lot of times, they don't. Matthew was keeping this journal... Because he was convinced he had COVID. He's still convinced he had COVID.
1: The whole experience of this virus is so mercurial, both in the micro and in the macro.
0: What do you mean by that?
1: My experience of the virus can change from, like, hour to hour. It can change from day to day. And it can change from, like, week to week. And so, like, you could be having a really tough three, four hours. And then all of a sudden, you're like, oh wow, okay, I'm feeling a bit better. Um, but only only to find two to three, four hours later, I'm what the heck, I'm right back where I started.
0: Matthew is speaking in the present tense here because more than 100 days after starting that journal, he feels like he's still sick. He thinks he's had COVID for three months now. Just for a little perspective, before all this, Matthew was an exercise nut He biked across the country, solo. Now he has trouble biking down the block.
1: And even in what I'm trying to think of as, like, this recovery period that I feel like I'm in now, I mean, after having a really good week last week, you know, just yesterday, I was absolutely floored with fatigue. You know, and that was after having, like, consecutive days after days of, like, really good really good improvement.
0: So in some ways, it sounds like you started this journal looking out for one thing, (laughs) this extreme onset that could really be very risky, but then you got something else completely.
1: I, I ended up documenting something I wasn't anticipating
0: at all. Today on the show, Matthew Long Middleton is one of a growing number of people saying this coronavirus, it could last longer than you think. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next? Stick with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. Matthew Long Middleton isn't the only person saying this coronavirus could last. Back in April, he was reading the newspaper, saw an article by a woman who'd been hospitalized with COVID, but weeks later was still unwell. She called the recovery process more complicated than is widely realized.
1: She was saying, like, this isn't anything like the flu. And I was like, yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, And she mentioned there the support group uh, that she had formed, which was uh, the Body Politic support group, which is right now a uh, it's a giant Slack uh, channel. So um, I asked to be a part of that. Like there was a little like form you fill out and um, they admitted me.
0: What was the conversation there like?
1: Oh, they have different channels, uh, if you're familiar with Slack. Um, you know, they're they're separated by categories, essentially. So, you know, and it's been interesting to be a part of that community because, like, you know, at first it was just the, there was one channel that was 30 plus days. And then eventually you saw a new channel that was 60 plus days. And now there's a new channel that's 90 plus days. Um, hmm. And, you know, so that's been both, like, uh, you know, reassuring to see, but. You know, also hard to see. Um, Not not just for myself, but just because there's so many other people there, um, you know, still dealing with this.
0: Matthew still doesn't know where he picked up the coronavirus. He doesn't even have definitive proof he had the virus at all. Like a lot of people now living with what some are calling long-haul COVID, figuring out what's going wrong has been an ongoing project. What Matthew does know is how at risk he was. Matthew's a journalist. He'd just started a new job at the beginning of the year. It was a job that required a lot of travel. So at the beginning of March, as the coronavirus numbers were surging, he was pinging around the country, visiting one public radio station after another. And then he got back to his home in Missouri and felt this cough.
1: This little cough that felt like, a, you know, like a little tickle, but like it was I couldn't suppress the cough. Like it was like... Like I just, it was always two at a time and, um, and it was there. And I chalked that up to allergies. I grew up on the East coast, um, and never really had allergies until I moved to Missouri. Um, so I was like, well, it's, you know, it's starting to get springy here, change of seasons, probably allergies, but then like literally two weeks to the day I returned from all my travel Uh, was Wednesday, March 11th, and that was the day I got really, really sick. My principal symptoms, like, to start were cough, incredible chest pain and discomfort. The other weird one I had, and I think I still do to a degree, is um, it's like if someone were, like, tickling you or, like, you know, when you get a cold shiver... Uh, from the base of my skull, and then it would wash down my entire back. Um, It's so bizarre to describe. Um, And yeah, profound fatigue, muscle aches. Um, The thing that I really didn't develop in a serious way at all, and, and particularly in those first few weeks, was the shortness of breath. And that was challenging because particularly at that time like that's what physicians were looking for and that would also be the thing that would event you know under certain circumstances get you admitted to a hospital for more intense care.
0: Yeah, and I'm thinking back, you're talking about getting sick in like early mid March and you're in Missouri. Like it's not a COVID hot spot. So I'm I'm kind of curious what happened when you started to think maybe it is COVID and then started looking around for a test.
1: Right. Well, so I mean, like my suspicion was, ah, fudge, I got COVID, particularly just because of the cough. So we tried to go get a test. Uh, We went to KU Urgent Care Clinic and I told them all my symptoms. And they said, you know, and I explained to them I had been traveling. But at that point, you either had to know someone with a positive COVID test, have been exposed to that person rather, or you had to have just returned from wuhan china to get a test those were the criteria at the time but for some reason after i came back negative for the flu test they said go get a COVID test so i did that they do the nasal swab test and um they told me you know 24 to 48 hours you'll have results i was like okay and then of course i go home they call me on the next thursday the urgent care clinic calls me and they say so we have some weird news. Your sample came back unsatisfactory sample. I was like, well, "What does that mean?" It means the sample we have isn't good enough to give you any result. And I said, "Well, you know, what do I do with this kind of information and you know, like giving your symptoms assume you have it, stay, you know, don't go out, you know, near people or that kind of thing." It's like, "Okay, great. That's exactly what I've been doing. I'll continue to do that. Thanks." And then on Sunday, I get a call from the like master organization, the KU Medical Center, like the central office. And they're like, oh, we have great news. You came back negative for COVID. And I was like, wait, I just got a call a few days ago from the urgent care clinic telling me this I had an unsatisfactory sample. And they said, well, that was that initial test was done by the Kansas Department of Health and Environment. And since then, private labs have come online. So we sent your sample there to be tested. And I was like, so let me get this straight. You took what was by definition an unsatisfactory sample (laughs) and sent it to a private lab to be sampled. And at this point, my wife was on speakerphone and she's like, has any unsatisfactory sample ever come back positive? And
0: And he said, no. In the early days, everyone was still learning about this virus, even the people coming up with the diagnostic tests. Matthew was eventually able to get a second COVID test, but by that time it had been weeks since his symptoms began. He wasn't really surprised when that came up negative too. What did your doctor tell you? I mean, you had this negative test. I wonder what your relationship is is like with the physician because it could go a lot of different ways.
1: Yeah, I've been disappointed in the care I've received. Why? I mean, I think one of the things is, you know, I just, I think like many people, I just want to be validated. I want to feel like I'm not crazy. Um, you know, for just someone to say like, oh yeah, you definitely have this, you know, um, you know, like that first night I called him on Wednesday, March 11th, and, um, you know, and I was like, dude, I am really sick and I have the chest pain. I have a profound cough. I have a fever, you know, like I've been traveling. And he's just like, no, no, there's no way you have COVID. Uh, you know, I was just on the phone with someone who's come, who came back from London. He definitely has COVID. You, you don't have the shortness of breath. And it
0: was just. So when you got these test results back, yeah, it was he's like see?
1: Yeah. It, that was the feeling I got.
0: Have you thought about getting an antibody test?
1: Uh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. We've we've had this conversation in our home a bunch of times. Um you know, like there's of course an anxiety to me getting an antibody test because like I don't know if you've looked into those, but yeah, some of them are even even now that the FDA has done the emergency approval for only those making 95% and above sensitivity and uh, specificity, if I remember correctly, but like, you know, you look at the sample size that some of these tests were made out of, I mean, like literally it's like 40 individuals on some of these tests. So when they get a 40 out of 40, they'll say that's a hundred percent sensitive. Um, but you know, like that's a real small sample size. (laughs)
0: You're afraid of testing negative again.
1: Yeah, I definitely am. Um, You know, my wife asked her primary care physician about this, who's been a much better provider of care. And they wrote back a very long email reply saying, like, we really don't think that that's a very good test. And then moreover, they they were saying, like, and it wouldn't change what we would tell you to do.
0: In a survey of long-term COVID patients, a quarter of them reported a negative test just like Matthew. But Matthew, he's got one more reason he truly believes he's been living with this coronavirus. His mom. She got sick around the same time he did. She's a nurse practitioner. While they were both recovering, they would FaceTime every day to check in.
1: She got much more acutely sick than I did. She developed bad shortness of breath, and um, I remember FaceTiming with her, and I could literally see her lips like turning a grayish blue and like she couldn't finished a sentence without, you know, taking a breath. Like, you know, it was a profound shortness of breath.
0: I wonder what your conversations with her are like. Like, she's a medical professional. Is she convinced you had COVID too?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, she's very certain I have it and she is unequivocal about it. Um, but she's also my mom. So here's another reason I don't quite doubt myself. Yes, I didn't have shortness of breath, but all the other experiences I did share with my mom. Like she also had this mercurial kind of experience where, like, I remember there was this one day she was FaceTiming and she's like, she was literally like singing. She's like, I feel so much better. (laughs) And then, you know, the next day she'd be back in bed, just absolutely miserable.
0: Listening to you, it's like hard to think about like, what is this? disease, because you're describing, you know, your mom having one experience, you having another, you know, similar in some ways, but then quite different in others.
1: Yeah. So, (laughs) uh, so my mom also, uh, she's part of the Harvard Medical School continuing education, like program that they have. And so as she was recovering, she put together this webinar with three other Uh, medical professionals for Harvard Medical School's continuing education, like it's part of their programming. So she had this um, uh, infectious disease doctor from Alabama uh, and two other medical professionals who all had had COVID. Some of them had tested positive, some of them had not. But I just remember the doctor, one one of the, I think it was the doctor from Alabama, he was saying, um, what is the similarity between all of our four experiences? that every single one of them is different. And hmm. I thought that that was, it rings so true to my, what I feel like I've witnessed both with me personally compared to the other people I personally know and everything I've read of this virus.
0: How are you now?
1: Um, Today, right now, is a better day. Um, Yesterday was a really hard day. Not not in the sense of like I was horribly sick, but I mean I was just I had ambition to do a very light 30-minute bicycle ride. That was my ambition yesterday. Uh and um you know I played some video games with my brother in, in Vermont in the morning and by 11, I was like, um oh, man. And then I was just, like, on the couch the rest of the day. Like, I could just, I couldn't, I was so profoundly fatigued and, and weak. And that was mentally really challenging because it was, like, I just had this string of days where I had been doing things. Like, oh, I'll take a 30-minute walk. I'll do a 30-minute bicycle ride. Like, I did, like, a full week of work. I participated in more Zoom meetings. I, like... You know, I had had a really good week. I wasn't symptom free, but I was able to do these other things. It's like, I'll live with the symptoms if I can do these other things. And it's just like, oh, God, you know, and then I spent all of yesterday just being like, what, you know, should I have walked less? Should I have cycled less? Should I have done less work? Was there anything I could have done differently that would have helped prevent this day from happening? And maybe there was, maybe there mm-hmm. wasn't. I, I don't know.
0: How do you, how are you going to know that you're better? Like when, when are you going to say I'm well again?
1: It's a great question. It's one my wife has asked me, uh, you know, because it's it's fair. Like, yeah, when will I know? Um, the last three symptoms I'm dealing with are moderate to profound fatigue. Uh, sometimes my sore throat slash cough comes back. But then the other one is this buzzing, tingling, vibration, sensation, and then the sleep disturbance, like I've had really bad sleep. Um, So once all those symptoms go away, I would say I'm better. The hard thing is, is like that relapse question, like if I push too hard, then I feel the thing. So I guess I'll know I'm better when I can do high-intensity interval training uh, and I don't pay for it later. Like when I can do, when I can do a series of sprints as hard and as fast as I can do them for, you know, over a quarter of a mile, five times. And then, you know, I don't wake up the next day in horrible pain and also profoundly fatigued.
0: Do you want to bike across the country again when this is all over? I
1: I always want to be bicycling (laughs) (laughs) uh, across the country. Yeah. Um, And that's what makes this so difficult is, you know, I I just have to keep adding on little by little. And sometimes I'll discover, oh, there's my limit. And so it's just like a new reminder of you're not well yet. Everything else in my entire life leading up to this moment has, you know, conditioned me that like at times of struggle and or uh, challenge, the key is to redouble your efforts and try harder like if you want to learn if you want to be able to run faster you need to do more running and you need to run at faster you know rates to get faster you need to do more of the thing to overcome it and that's been a very big challenge of this virus which is just like uh that is the exact opposite of my experience of how to to get better with this thing like less is more (laughs) slow is fast
0: It's interesting because I feel like that's the experience of this whole thing. Like, even if you're not sick, you know, I was talking to a neighbor the other day who also has kids. I have kids. And we were talking about school. And she was like, I think we just need to rip the Band-Aid off. Like, just get the kids back in school full time because it is hard to have them out. And I, I wonder what you make of that. Having gone through what you've gone through over the last few months?
1: I would say I understand the feeling. Like, I empathize with it. You know, I have friends with small kids, and like one of our friends was saying, you know, like my daughter, my daughter essentially just has nothing but imaginary friends right now. Um, you know, and some of her imaginary friends are like from fiction, you know, they're like Elsa from Frozen, and some of them are like, her friends from daycare, you know, like that she'll just have these conversations with. But, you know, so I, I I definitely understand the feeling like it's so tragic. It's so hard for so many people. Um. But I guess I would say I just keep coming back to like. You don't know how badly ripping that Band-Aid is going to hurt you don't know for some people it will just pull off a little bit of your arm hair right <laughs> for other people it might rip off their arm i think it's an unfair analogy i don't i don't discredit the feeling um you know like i think that that feeling is very very real and it's a big frustration and not only that there are inherent risks to what that idea is proposing you know like yeah children Children's development is going to be severely, I I could imagine, could be very much impacted. Our own personal lives have been extremely impacted. The well-being of all of our neighbors has been extremely impacted. But the analogy isn't fair. This ain't ripping off a Band-Aid. You need to make a new calculation. And honestly, it's, it's a really hard one to make.
0: Matthew Long Middleton, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Mary. Thank you. Matthew Long Middleton is a media training manager over at KCUR in Kansas City. And that's the show. What Next is produced by Jason DeLeon, Mary Wilson, and Danielle Hewitt. We've got help each and every day from Alicia Montgomery and Allison Benedict. We're so grateful. The What Next team is off for the rest of the week, but you can catch a new episode of What Next TBD, right in this feed on Friday. It'll be hosted by Henry Grabar. It is the first in a six-part series on the future of cities. You won't want to miss it. I'm Mary Harris. Have a great holiday, and I will talk to you next week.